Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Glamorous Trash. On this podcast, we recap and book club celebrity memoirs, we pontificate about pop culture, and sometimes, if it's a real doozy, we cry. If you have ever referenced Mariah Carey in therapy, then this is probably the podcast for you. I'm your host, Chelsea Devantes. I'm a TV writer, comedian, and filmmaker, and sometimes I'm in stuff too. And this is your first episode back from uh, the holiday break. We didn't really have a break. We published an episode like a week ago. But welcome to 2024. Uh, this is our first book starting the year. And this is the first Celebrity Book Club episode. We are discussing Leave Ullman's memoir titled Changing. And it was published in 1976. Now, I know what you're thinking. Maybe you don't know who Leave Ullman is. And if you don't, this is going to be an amazing episode to get to know her. And to give you a little backstory to this episode, you may have noticed that every episode we dropped in December and this one was a, quote, classic memoir in that it didn't come out, you know, it wasn't hot off the presses. So we were reading and book clubbing books that had been out for a while, including this one. And that is because... I had a project for a long time that I thought I might have to take two months off of the podcast to do. And so I had been slowly banking episodes throughout the year where I would hold on to an episode in case I could, you know, in case I, you know, basically I spent the whole year last year thinking like maybe on Monday I was going to get on a plane and move for two months. And it just kept going back and forth because why? We love Hollywood. It's the best business. And um, so long story short, uh, that date never came. And finally, in December, I said, we, have, we must release the episodes. They were all so good and lovely, I thought at least. And I said, just put them all out and we'll take a little break over the holidays. And this is our final last memoir that we were holding on to, last memoir episode. And what is so wild is that we recorded this episode exactly a year ago to the day it's dropping. So one year ago is when me and my friend discussed this beautiful book. And so this episode has a lot of New Year's, New Year's, New You energy to it. I found it to be the most lovely, inspiring kind of spiritual conversation. And also leave does give us the gossip. So that is what this episode is. I hope you love it as much as I loved talking about it. And I also think it's just a really nice way for me to launch into 2024. You know, we have dropped our episodes. We're starting new. We'll bank new ones. It'll be great. So let me tell you a little bit about Leave Ullman. At one point, she was considered one of the most famous actresses in the world and is still currently an international icon. She is a Norwegian actress who is in a ton of Igmar Bergman films, and their relationship is very, very famous. Now, the way I would describe this book is like you go walking towards the ocean, but you don't fully walk in, and you just stand on the beach and you let the, the water just like hit your legs, and it goes back and forth. Like that is this book. It's very lyrical, it's poetic, it's all over the place. It's, I find, I think it's gonna be a perfect conversation to start our new year. So let's dive in. 
I think we're alike in that life is what we're here for. I do not want to arrive at the end of life and then be asked what I made of it and have to answer, I act it. I want to say that I loved and I was mystified. It was a joy sometimes and I knew grief. And I would like to do it all again. We are talking about Liev Ullman and her memoir with our incredible guest. You know her as Alexis Castle on Castle from her latest movie. She's starring in Agnes on Hulu. You can also catch her on Rookie. It is the incredible actress Molly Quinn. Hi, Molly. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for doing this. I, I'm so glad you asked me to do it. I, I really love the show. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to be oh, here. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you and I met, we, we met in such an interesting way because when we met, I thought I already knew you. I was like, no, I know you. And you said, no, this is our first time meeting. And I think it's because, um, through your partner, I'd heard all these stories about you. And I think also online, I'd followed you guys so deeply that I truly believed as I stood across from you at my own wedding, that we were already good friends, (laughs) which is a level of delusion. I'm thrilled to have accomplished. I didn't want to correct the bride because I I feel like- It's my day. Yeah, it's your day. But I was also like, oh, I can't, like, I've listened to too many stories where people like keep up, like a small lie that gets out of, you know, out of hand. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I I have to stop this here and it'll be fine. And it was, and you were so It totally was fine. And thank you for letting me come to your wedding. Like I Are you kidding me? I mean, we I just I'm so glad you guys were there and I had this like pivotal I mean, Yasser and I were so new in our relationship. We went to this diner with Alan and it was an epic time. And in that time when we were eating together, he told me what a prolific reader you are. I just felt like I knew all these things about you. So I was sort of like, oh, my good friend Molly, who's obsessed with <laughs> reading books, she should come on the book podcast. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet to think about him saying anything so lovely about me. I don't know. Oh my I'm God, all he did. Oh. So to start with, we were gonna do Lauren Bacall and then I got some impassioned messages from you. So I want you to tell everyone why we are doing this memoir today. You sure did. You really got uh, bombarded. I was very forceful. <laughs> <laughs> it was a message that was sort of like, I'm not asking, okay? We gotta do this. <laughs> I got very impassioned and, and thank you for, for letting me talk about, about Liv. Um, when almost, almost 10 years ago, uh, I was touring with a group called Welcome to Night Vale. And uh, there were so many things with that group. I learned a lot about responsibility and just different people and working in close quarters and creating art, even when you're cranky. Uh, and on one of our days, driving between one theater and another, we stopped at a little coffee shop called the Mocha Mouse, middle of nowhere, somewhere like North Dakota, something like that. And uh, upstairs, because I had the best BLT of my life. Great cafe. Okay, love that. It was great. Upstairs, when you when you remember a single sandwich, like that's that's good. Excellent. I've never had a better one. Um, upstairs, they had a little used bookstore. Uh, so I kind of moseyed up there before we had to drive off, and uh, this book really stuck out to me. 
the name. It's Shay a grain J. cover. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had no idea who she was. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. No idea. Uh, I was really just taken by this haunting. I, I've never seen a photo where a woman's soul is so present on her face. Uh, That's a great way of putting this. It's like this photograph of her underneath the text that says changing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I started reading it uh, on the on the bus when it wasn't my turn to drive. Uh, and I guess the second day of reading it, because I kept having to go back and just look at passages again because I knew there was wisdom, but I just, I couldn't understand it. You know, I was, yes, tw- yes. I was 20 and I was like, oh my God, like there's something here. And I, and I love just hearing these words. Who is this woman? You know? And then as I'm having all these thoughts, this note falls out and, uh, the note, can I, can I read the note? Yes. Okay. Please. So the note says, and then a beautiful, like beautiful cursive. Uh, Mom and Dad, thank you for putting up with me and the kids for the past weeks, but it's time we tried to work things out in Medora. It was super to be home again. I miss you too already. I don't know how to repay you, but someday I will. Just don't forget I love you both. And then this woman's name, which I'll leave out just in case. Um, Sure. And... And at first, all I could think about was the woman who wrote the note. And so the first time I read the book, I kind of read it with her in mind. And then at the end, I was like, no, 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 Molly, Molly, Molly. This is not about the person who wrote the note. This is about the mom who kept the note and kept it in this book. Yeah. And so the journey of all these women, like the idea of the woman who wrote this note, her mother who was reading this book, which is all about changing and letting go and and not letting go in a kind of, you know, clear your closet way, but in like a- Like Marie Kondo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I love Marie Kondo, but in, in much more of a um, file it away. You don't have to think about uh, the past all the time. You don't even have to- Think about your day constantly, like allow time for your mind to wander. Like it's very progressive. And and I wonder when the note was written, because like we said, the book uh, came out in like 1976. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So it's just so many women have passed this particular copy of Changing Around and uh, reading it again this time. Yeah, go ahead. the, The note sounds like, she left it there and took off. Yes. Like it doesn't sound like there was a conversation. You know, this is this is her parents finding out that she's gone back to whoever is so horrible mm. that she fled to her parents' mm-hmm. house. And then her mom is holding on to the note in a way that she's keeping it in a book. Yeah, and like and hoping her daughter's all right. Like you could really spin out, especially as, as a writer like yourself. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. as an actor, I've had so many it's it's just fueled my I want to say memory, but that's not the right word because it's not my memory. It's fueled my imagination. Um, yeah, and your experience yeah. of this book, yeah. I imagine. So it like took on a really magical kind of feeling. It felt precious. It felt, yeah. um, oh. it didn't feel like a book. It felt like something precious. You know, like people have like a family Bible. I have Liv Ullman's Changing. 
Well, I thank you so much for sharing that. And I can't wait to get into this episode with that in mind. I've said it a bunch on the podcast before, but I truly believe like the right book will come into your life at just the right moment. Like anytime I really need a book, like there it is. And so um, I love having this story about you. <laughs> so you would probably know her best from Scenes from a Marriage, but she was this huge actress. And really, she was a Norwegian actress who found a lot of fame in America and in Hollywood, which like, I don't know that we can really point to another Norwegian actress who's ever made that type of crossover. So to the chagrin of Leif Ullman fans, I'm going to say there's this kind of narrative that she got famous specifically because she married Ingmar Bergman, who's a Swedish director, who's, uh, I mean, like if you went to film school, like all you do is study him. I mean, and other things too, but he put her in a lot of his films while they were ten, married, but ten also films. 10. Mm -hmm. Cause he also puts her in films uh, way past the marriage. Yes. Cause they're only married for five years, yeah. which I also think is like, wow. The marriage is so, um, it's impactful, but it's also this kind of, for me, um, this funny thing where what they both found in each other was a type of love, but because, you know, she was only 25, he was 47. Like he, he should have been. Yeah, that's 21 years. Yeah. And she never talks about it in the book. She, Cause she I had to look it up. I said, it. this man is 21 <laughs> years older than you, ma'am. Well, and she was already out of a marriage. She, she, yeah. Yeah. Like she got, a five-year marriage. Yeah, so, so, and this is, you know, again, going back to, like, the time, like, when she was, like, in her youth, too. Um, and getting married was a big way of kind of getting your freedom, right? Uh, at least yeah. for her. It allowed her to kind of do her own thing. Um, but I do believe, um, and when you watch interviews of, of Liv, and, you know, we are kind of getting one side of the story, but I do find her to be a pretty reliable narrator, narrator um, or at least she's kind. So I, I choose to believe it. You know, I've never heard yes. her really just talk a bunch of shit, you know, about Igmar. But um, I feel like there's a little bit of tea in the book yeah. and I can't wait to get to it. But yeah. it's only a little bit. So it makes it extra juicy. Like, you know, because she is so kind. Yeah. And then there's a page of like, here's here's three names for you. <laughs> yeah, it's I, I can't wait to get into that. Um, But to, to finish that thought real quick, it's they did love each other. They just didn't they weren't aware of the different faces love can take. So they thought, oh, we just have to be married. We have this kid, we like, we have to have sex, like we have to be married. And it's like, no, you're collaborators. You love each other, but mm. that doesn't mean that you're meant to be married entwined. And I think that's why they went on yeah. to work together. And he even told Liv, um, there was this interview I watched where, <laughs> Liv was like, I got kind of tired in all the interviews with people just only wanted to ask me about Igmar. And so one day I, I called him and I said, I'm very frustrated that people always want to ask me about you when they're talking about my work. And he said to her, Liv, that's because you're my Stradivarius. Like you are the best work. Like you are what made my things, what they are. Oh. And it just, for oh my gosh. knowing their relationship and for an artist like him who is a Titan, um, posthumously, but also while he was alive very much, um, to give up that compliment meant a lot because people that are that prolific, I think there's a tendency um, to hold on to all the praise themselves. You know, it can be a bit difficult to dole out um, the praise that other people deserve. And, and, Absolutely. and he did that. And I just, I can, I can imagine how she felt when, when he said that, 
you know, just um, yeah, that yeah. validation. Yeah. And she was like, no, it, and it made it too, much easier to talk about. She's like, I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I mean, when I found out the age difference, I was, I'm not going to lie. I was like, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this for both of them. I hate it for both of them. I hate it. And he like takes her away to live on a the literal island. island. Yeah. And, and I'm just like, I don't like any of this. And kind of what you're saying about you were meant to be collaborators, pop, Perhaps because of the age difference, older man, younger woman, they fall into this thing that that's not their destiny. But I ended up actually really liking their relationship, which yeah. is a very big arc for me. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I really love that you said that. So normally when I um, do these episodes, the books, you, usually a celebrity memoir, you know, childhood, <laughs> childhood, uh, skip to fame, and then like some current stories. Liv's book is un, I cannot, I was going to sit down to try and make my normal little beat sheet for this. It's just, it's just everywhere. And so I'm thinking for this conversation, we can kind of splash through the book Mm -hmm. because she jumps all over the place and um, maybe highlight some of our favorite pieces Mm -hmm. and go from there. What do you think? I think that sounds great. Yeah, because she, unlike other actors who like kind of openly, I'm not a writer, but I've tried to write this myself and they stick to like a formula. Yeah. There's, there's no formula in this book. Yes. She's like, I am not a writer and I'm going to move all around. And for whatever reason, it just, it works. I mean, she, she goes into third person at times. Yes. She's describing a woman. It took me a minute to be like, Oh, she's okay. So she's actually just talking about herself. And it, it's almost this weird um, window into her, like maybe mental health when processing certain things, because mm-hmm. there's times where she's like, I'm not, I can't tell you how I felt. I'm going to tell you what happened to that woman. Mm-hmm. And that woman happens to be her. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was just taking note of like, when does she go into third person? The timelines all over the place. Um, so, okay. I want to, I want to read actually, it's going to be chunky, but I'm going to read the first little thing where I stood up and was like, Oh my gosh, what page is this? We are, um, this is page 18. Okay. She says, we are dining with friends. He is a director and has just finished his first important film. She is the wife who lives only for her husband's career. They lived for a number of years in New York, but they, but they have now moved to Los Angeles, bought a house they cannot afford, sought out company in the acquaintance of those they really do not care about, maintained a social life with men and women with whom the only thing they have in common is the hope for the association can lead to future business. For some, it is lonely and impossible not to be in the right circles, and they scramble and crawl all over each other in order to be included, humiliate themselves, and lose their souls somewhere along the way toward a goal that does not exist. The director and his wife are having a difficult time. In her insecurity, she strives so hard when they are with other people that she scares up those whom she wishes contact. She tells them that her husband is the world's most talented man and he will be the greatest of them all, make the best films, earn the most money, and any strength he himself may lack, she will provide. And then uh, a few paragraphs Mm. later, she says... um, Loneliness beside the swimming pool in their big new house with hardly any furniture, no children. Previously, they wanted to be just the two of them. Now they have the career, the American dream, success. Her dream is to stand at her husband's side and be one of the film city's influential people, belong to the A group. She puts her arm through mine at the table and we chat about nothing. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, scathing review of this lady, first off. Yeah, well, and of Um, a certain Hollywood crowd as well. And I'll tell you, I completely agree with her. I've had like it, it, and I think that was one of the things and I'm so glad you brought up 
this chunk. God, because I remember the first time being in those kind of interactions and not knowing what it was and then reading this book and being like, okay, there was something off. Like my radar couldn't pick it up because, you know, I I started working when I was 14. And so a lot of those yeah. experiences were, um, were wonderful, but totally strange. Yeah, and also... When you're younger, you don't, how do you, how are you to know what normal is? What is an adult? You know, when that is, yeah, exactly. So it's like to have someone come in via book and be like, no, this is the most. So, I mean, there's a lot to be said about LA and Hollywood and becoming an actor and blah, blah, blah. This was definitely the most potent description mm-hmm. of something truly terrible, mm-hmm. awful in this business. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't say I, it. That should be required reading. Right, I agree. And and it's weird. As scathing as it is, there's no hint of like, I don't know, maybe it's my reading of it and maybe it's because this is my fifth time reading it. But I feel this either cautionary tale in the words. Like, I don't feel a direct meanness. Like, I feel almost a sadness, you know, especially when she's like, when they were in New York, they were happy and now they're chasing this thing and it, doesn't really exist. Like she's admonishing this woman um, and women like her, but um, I don't know. Without, but it's bigger. I think, she, I think she's also, yeah, she's also cautioning herself for sure. Mm-hmm. She definitely does not. She becomes one of the most famous actresses, doesn't want a moment of it, which usually for me is like very hard to read about because I'm like, then just don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Then drop out. But I found it uh, with from her and Betty Gilpin, mm-hmm. particularly actually quite lovely to read about that push and pull between like, I want to be an actor, but like, oh God, this part of it is so awful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, when I read this, I thought of several dinners I'd been at. <laughs> I thought of, I thought of, um, and I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll share it vaguely. Please but do. Because I, I don't think they're listening, but I mean, I it, it instantly brought to mind this person who I know for a fact actually said something quite mean and catty about me. Ugh. And I was at a party and I turned and there they were. And I was like, I actually know, you know, I know this thing. And, um, oh, they're just right in my face, holding my hand, asking just so, so, such personal questions mm. as if we were best friends. Right. And. I've weirdly taken this stance of like, like, uh, sure, let's join this rea- let's join yeah. the reality where we are friends. Yeah. Like that's that's fine. And to be in this business uh, often means your soul is rotting. And you do rot- rotten things and like whatever. <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on from it. But such intimacy, uh, phone numbers. Let's go to dinner. Let's hang out. Mm-hmm. Later in the night, I was ta- I was taking a selfie with my best friend. And from maybe across a football field away, she fled the room and jumped inside it. And in, in the selfie. Oh my God. Yeah, why? Why? This was, this was hours after. But anyways, that to me is like, mm, yes, Los Angeles. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And it was a person, you know, it's a person who reminded me of this, this woman. But it, it, what you're saying is like, oh, you've been there. You know this, like. This like, and, and it could happen to you at any moment. At any moment, you could be at a dinner. Hungry, hungry to talk to someone, you know? Yeah, so so have your, I think it's also, like, have your own shit. You know, I think yes. she is kind of making Have a true comment. values. Yeah, well, and even, like, if you want to pursue something, pursue it for yourself. Don't completely wrap yourself up in your partner's goings on because I that's always been a time where I really feel like a strain with people because even when you 
try to be like, okay, that's great. Yes, I, I just worked with your husband. Like, what have you been up to? Oh, well, we went to this. And, and I'm like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? And and, and it's so sad because I think, um, yeah. and you know this, like there's this, um, <sighs> there's this judgment about the competition of work and how everyone only wants to talk about what is relevant because like it's it's this it's the serpent eating its own tail it's because that's yes. how everyone else has made us feel um and and I try in good part because of this book and because I've been lucky to meet a lot of awesome people as well and and Liv talks about that right she says some of the happiest times and the best friendships I have are also in Los Angeles um I just try as much as I can to just not talk shop, you know? Cause mm, I'm like, that's really nice. We're all at the table. We're all at the table. We, we know what we're getting up to. If we want to have a business conversation, we can do that over zoom or like a coffee. Let's just yeah. have a nice yeah. dinner. You know, like I don't want to yeah. feel that my value, um, only comes from, and I'm just going to, I'm, I'm job. and I'm purposely, yeah. Like purposely saying it as negative as possible. Like, the selling of my face. Like I cannot have, <laughs> and, and that's like not how I see my job. But when I've been caught up in those moments and I just, and I feel gross, I feel like a dementor. Like I'm turning into like this crazy, just like wraith soulless thing. And I just, I'm sure I'll feel it again in my life, but hopefully very quickly, I'll be able to turn back to live even in my yeah, brain yeah. and go, just, just don't, just, just don't just laugh it off and ask them about their dog. Hopefully they have a dog. And if they don't have a dog, go with them to the pound and make sure they get a dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's so beautiful. And it, it, it really is. I can imagine reading this at a young age. She ends, she ends the story, uh, the, so every, I, I can't call them chapters. But it's like every little piece is like a page, a page and a half uh-huh. and, you know, or two pages, three pages. And she ends this one by saying, um, I shudder to think of meeting her in 10 years. Yeah. Like she, and I'm just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, I was terrified by that too. I knew exactly what she meant as I'm sure you do. Like it conjures that image of like, oh, that's going to be a, um, a skeleton walking, you know, it's just, yes, there's yes, not going to yes. be anything there. If, if you only care about this, this like, for lack of a better word, rat race. Cause yeah. I don't think it just applies to Hollywood. I think it applies to really anyone who's just really running the gauntlet of like work. Absolutely. Um, okay. Then I have to, this is, this is where I had to call Liv out. And I, and I, I'm curious your feelings. Can't wait. Liv is definitely like that lady's fat. This woman's fat. <laughs> like, where, where is this? You know, oh, it's all over the book. It is, um, <laughs> because I guess oh, I have yes, like you're a, talking uh, about like the women on the island. The women on the island, but also like there's this woman, Karen, before we're on the air, a narrow bed. I wondered how Karen's fat body could get any yes. rest on it. That's her nanny yes. as a child. Yes. <laughs> tough. Yes. Very tough. And then like later, and again, like it's not, it doesn't feel like it's uh, an overtly malicious. It does feel like she's like, I'm being descriptive. Right. Which, you know, has its own things. But then, and the, I have complicated feelings because of other things I found out about Liv. Some, she's in an interview and they ask her questions. Am I a good mother? Do I live alone? What do I wish to make of my profession? They almost all ask me what my attitude is to women's lib. I try to put into words why I believe that 
All division of people into groups just increases our difficulties, making it harder for us to understand one another. I believe we can easily over-empathize our differences, insisting on them as merely to classify what has already been classified to everyone's detriment. I shudder to think of what would have happened to the child Mozart if had he been a child today. And I said, Liv, are you coming for the women's Liv Liv movement? (laughs) And then later in the book, she has these like, incredible passages on equality between the sexes Mm -hmm. and gender equality Mm -hmm. and they're extremely feminist passages and then today on instagram i saw this a beautiful video she made about the women in iran and how we have to stand up for their rights and she actually cuts off um, a lot a piece of the front chunk of her hair Mm -hmm. because that's like a symbol of grieving and and so it's so interesting to read in the book her being like those women's lib hippies <laughs> dividing the country when I'm like, I know for a fact she has a feminist heart. Yeah, I think I think um, the branding of feminism um, got really overtaken with negativity, um, like like just from like a political standpoint. Like, I think they won. It's kind yeah, of how and purposely, like, Republicans like are the, better yeah. at running campaigns like. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's it's shitty. Um, and I think even the smartest women can be, and I'm just talking about women because that's what we are and uh, we're talking about a woman, um, can be susceptible to that, you know, and not. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember like, 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 f- like fully honest, you know, uh, coming from Texarkana, Texas, uh, coming to LA, doing this stuff. It took until I was dating Alon, and it was like I was young when we were dating, so I was like 22 when we first went out. It took till just about then for me to detangle what I had been told feminists were and discover what mm. they actually are. Yeah. Like I would, yeah. I would say that I had a feminist heart, but never would have identified as feminist, would have had this. And like that's because my mom is awful and, and, Fuck the South. Cultural norms. Yeah, and, like, like yeah, all, the years you were in. Exactly. Uh-huh. And some of that, I think, can be true. With, like, I don't know what was happening in, in Norway in the 1950s and 60s. Um, but I can assume, uh, and, and like you already said about her feminist heart, like giving her the benefit of the doubt in that way. Um, yeah, because it, it, took, it took me a minute to come around and recognize, like, oh, no, this has just been propaganda that I've been seeing, saying that this is a yeah, bad thing. Yeah. And I got swept up in it. And I, I think I think you're totally correct, especially like uh, let's even just say, yeah, 1976 when it's published. So, you know, we're right in the in those years when she's writing these words. Definitely the campaign to paint women's lib yeah. as these women who I'm, I'm saying this because I've heard someone from this era say these exact words yeah. to me of like, you know, women used to want to kill men. Right. And I was like, I don't <laughs> I don't actually think that was on the agenda. Maybe yes. that was like a person. But so I do think, yeah, they very successfully were like, they want to kill all men. And if you're a woman who wants to sleep with men, you can't state you're a feminist. You certainly couldn't be a big famous actress. That being said, I was still a little mad at her. I get it. We we expect more from Liv. We expect more because she is well. So she offers so much. Ways. Yeah, and yes, yes. And about like the description of of bodies, like man, it's just. Um, I feel like women have been fucked over since the beginning of time to characterize ourselves based on our physical appearance, and yeah, I do not absolutely. know 
when that will end. Um, I will probably be dead, but as long as it happens <laughs> at some point, um, I will be really happy because it just feels like, um, like we've accepted shackles that whoever gave us the ideal picture of a woman put on all women, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely correct. And I think even, even in like, uh, even when I, I mean, I fully give in to all that stuff now, like makeup and hair and fashion, just try and like really enjoy it because mm-hmm. it was just so depressing for so long. Yeah. Even that doesn't have its full freedom, yeah. you know? And like, yeah, it's very sad. And, and I, I'm not, you know, in the context of 1976, like every book ever was written like this. Right. It's just as a 2022 person, I was like, <laughs> like this is. Uh, and didn't um, it, did it break your heart when she said, like, I ran in front of my nanny because I didn't want people to think she was my mother. And I know now that that yes. probably broke her heart. And I was just yes, like, oh, yes. like it's that thing of like, you can't be mad at what the child did. But I. I so appreciate that she thought about that at all, you know, that that she didn't just completely forget it because that would have been okay too. But I don't know. I like that. I like that she feels guilty. Yes. And also that she had those like, and when you feel guilt as a child, I feel like you remember it forever. And so she kind of knew she was so aware of what she was doing as a kid that she also felt the pain of it. There's a lot of, there's also a lot of, um, nannies in this book Mm -hmm. in in the, in the way of like, she's raised by a nanny, but then also later she, um, when she has her her child Lynn with Igmar, they have a nanny and she, wants to ask the nanny if she can push Lynn around in the carriage, but doesn't want to make the nanny feel bad as if she's doing a bad job. She just started. And so instead she walks the dog. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. But I was like, Ooh, Ooh. she's also worried about the dog. She's worried about, I think it's name is Pip. Like she's worried about her dog feeling uh, left out. Yeah. This, her heart is so large, you know, when she's saying like, she feels torn between, Igmar's study and then hearing Lynn cry and racing across the house to be with Lynn and then feeling guilty that she left Igmar and wanting to give the love that she so desperately wanted to receive when she was young. And in a way, yeah. like I'm just kind of realizing this now, I wonder if to her, because her father died when, when she was really young. Um, and and yeah. she very honestly says, like, I don't have memories of him. I remember like a, I think she says like a, a, a brown coat and like a, like a hand, you know, like holding his hand. And I wonder if when she was racing across the room between, you know, her colicky baby and her colicky husband, if it felt like I want dad to love me and I want to give love to me as a child. Oh, oh, <laughs> so painful. Yeah. And, and just feeling like I feel like this has to be a common feeling of like there's just not enough of you. Yeah to fill everyone else's needs and then your needs are left last. And also she's very, she's still very young in this moment. Very young. She's 25. Like by the time she divorces Igmar. Yeah. So, I mean, she, this, she's speaking when she's 22 or 23 as she's, yeah, that's so tough. Um, Oh no, I'm sorry. Okay. We're going to get, I think she's 30 when they divorce. Still, she's incredibly young. Okay. (laughs) I mean, she meets him when she's, yeah, very, it's hard. She doesn't list dates and times. She's not giving you intros, outros, context, not her bag. <laughs> so honestly, who knows what time it was? Um, okay, we'll get more into more Igmar later. 
Then um, I have this thing called Celebrity Book Club Drinking Bingo. It's on the Patreon if you want the actual bingo card. But uh, Henry Kissinger is in this book. And believe it or not, he's a fucking frequent guest in Celeb Memoirs. And I've never once seen him listed as possible war criminal. He is only in these books as like a god. Yeah. Um, And in this one... He's a god, and he's her date one night to some event, and her handbag breaks during this big date. Yeah, the I looked up pictures of them. I was like, I want to see a picture when her friend said her handbag was broken. Like, I, I want yeah, to yeah. find those pictures. And it's— Could you find them? Oh, yeah, I found them. And it's—she is— <laughs> She turns her, her purse into a clutch, basically. Like, she's holding it. At the at the so, closure, it's it doesn't look like anything, but it's it's funny to like have that. It's funny context, you know. But it was so much weirder to think about that time in politics. Um, and it, well, and also to give people some context really quick. So she's this very famous actress, and Henry Kissinger needs a date to like some gala, mm-hmm. and so they are sort of set up on this blind date, yeah. and then. She doesn't even know what time he's coming. She's just dressed all day. She has her friend pretending mm-hmm. to be her personal assistant. She spills wine all over him. <laughs> and um, and then, like, also, like, Norwegian politics and journalists are like, you must get yeah. a message to Henry Kissinger. You owe us. Yeah. <laughs> and so she's like, say, oil prices have gone up in Norway, haven't they? <laughs> she would uh, no doubt make, like, the worst spy. Like there is nothing about her to me that makes me yes. feel like she was ready for the world of politics or espionage. <laughs> or even this blind date. And I mean, it's yeah. so funny. She's on this date. She looks so um, stuffy. I love her. I'm saying this with love, but like stuffy. Oh, yeah. Like it seems, it's like um, if your grandmother were to pick out the outfit that would make sure a man would not, never want to have sex with yeah. you. <laughs> Yeah, and she even, I think she says she changes, right? Like she had been dressed in her best dress, but no one told her what time he was coming. And so after like three hours, she's like, fuck it. Like I'm going to put on like my other dress. This other dress. <laughs> and I, and I then think she's she upset because the choice. other dresses. Yeah. You think so? I'm like, you girl, should, listen, I'm not for Henry Kissinger, but the dress is a choice. <laughs> I think coming from the, the 2023 mindset, I was like, I'm glad you look stuffy and like you're not having a very good time in these photos with him. Oh, yes. Okay, yeah, that is nice. That is nice. (laughs) That is nice. Yeah, and it was so, when he showed up, I was like, I cannot believe this man is tracing through another memoir again. (laughs) He is probably second only to Mick Jagger. Um, (laughs) I wish to live out of Mick Jagger's story. That'd be great. That would be incredible. So then, and please um, interrupt with any passages you love. The other thing I wanted to call out is how much a doll's house comes up in this book. Yeah. Yes. She plays Nora. So she later says, I played Nora in a doll's house three times. If she hadn't have told me that number, I would have said it was 15. Right. Right. Because, because I was like, she's like, I'm playing Nora. Well, gotta go play (laughs) Nora. Well, I'm back to playing Nora. It follows her through her entire career because she kind of starts with Nora and she does all like the regional touring, like through Norway to like these little places where they're literally like bringing in chairs from the surrounding cottages to have enough seats, you know? And, and then she goes to Broadway and she plays it on radio. So that's what it is. It's yeah, yeah. All all throughout. 
Yeah, and it's a funny, I feel like the next thing I'm going to do is have to reread A Doll's House because um, I've only read it once. So have you ever, have you ever played, so for anyone listening, uh, this is an Ibsen play. Mm-hmm. If you go to theater school mm-hmm. and you are a lady, Nora's coming for you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> like that you are either going to be good enough to play Nora or not good enough to play Nora. And that's how you'll judge your <laughs> classical theater experience. <laughs> have you ever played Nora in A Doll's House? Uh, I have not been age appropriate yet to play Nora. Like Nora would more so be happening for me now. And so I feel right, like right. I so need you to were not because <laughs> you were not 19 in a conservative conservatory theater and they're trying to cast Nora in a doll's thank, house. <laughs> thank God they were not. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> no, I was always, you know, uh, uh, the angel that kind of walks through, you know, like all like the, the tiny kid parts in a, in theater. But, um, it's a weird play. It's a weird play. Yeah, it's, it's a I very weird it. play. I don't love the play. I do not either. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm going to reread it. Cause I want to know, I'm sure I'll have a different perspective on it now. Um, but man, I want to understand why that's the one she did like the, and she seemed to like, love it so much. But yeah, I think it's, I mean, my personal, so if I were to, and I think I have write the reference of like cliche theater mm-hmm. kid, I would, I've always been like fucking Nora from a doll's house. Like I've used it as a punchline before because I think the dearth of very classical roles mm-hmm. for women that are complicated is so tiny. It's so That's small. That's true. That's true. And this Nora has this uh, physical break that she starts like very like happy yeah. and fake. And you realize this woman's having a mental breakdown. And so it's like this incredible role to play. Yeah. Um, it's just, and it yeah, is it's funny. She's always her. playing Nora. Like it is about Nora. Cause in my head, I'm like, well, when was, you know, Tennessee Williams, like cat on a hot tin roof. Like when was that written? Wasn't that yeah. around the same? Or like sisters. Yeah. And it's, y- yeah. or any of the Lillian Hellman um, plays like the little foxes and, and those and it's like, yeah. there probably was some difference in also what was translated into Norwegian, like so many things. But even when I, Lillian Hellman, a little to the side, but going off of like the Kadmahatsen roof reference, like Nora is truly the lead of that play. Like she yes. is the top of the pyramid. Whereas in other ones, like there are great female roles, but not the lead. Um, yeah. So that also gives it some I think nice a great color. point. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but I loved, I just loved reading like all this Nora-ness. And then the other thing I really loved is that she auditions for one of the top schools, Mm -hmm. the top like acting schools in London. God, I love this story so much. And she goes to see the list of people who got in and she's not on the list, but she's right next to this guy Mm -hmm. who is on the Mm -hmm. list and he gets in and she remembers his name and she says, for years, I followed his career. I hope to find some justice in my defeat mm-hmm. by seeing his success. Now he is a fish dealer in Sweden, <laughs> and I hear very satisfied with things. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I just, one, I love that she goes on to become this incredibly, not only famous, but just very respected, yeah. deeply respected actor. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and didn't make it into the London Conservatory of whatever. And this guy did. And did you ever have anyone like that in your career where you were up for something or competing for something, or you, you kind of clock this name and you, you follow them from afar? Oh yeah. But they're all incredibly successful. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I went to, I went to, uh, uh, Caitlin Deaver, 
uh, and I from uh, Booksmart and yes. all that, uh, Dope Sick, uh, went to the same uh, classes in Dallas and came out here at the same time. And I've, I, I love Caitlin anytime we see each other. We say hi, and I'm so happy for her. But I just was kind of around these incredibly talented people who have just continued to do really interesting things. And if anything, I think that gives me like a bit of hope and a bit of a fear that I'm going to be the one that ends up dealing fish in Sweden. <laughs> well, like, am I the fish I, dealer? I mean, I, I love that point, although it's like already, if anyone goes to Molly Quinn's IMDb, you'll see this is nowhere near happening. The two that I thought of are not people I knew personally. Because mm-hmm. I, I also went to theater conservatory yeah. and like some of my like weird little stupid stories. I'm like, that person's extremely famous now. But um, (laughs) the two people whose career I checked on was like, one is a woman who went to Juilliard and I just read an interview about her in like Vanity Fair when it was like actress of the month. And I just kind of looked for her forever and she completely went away. Mm -hmm. And the other's an actress who I'll still keep it vague out of respect, but I went to like one of these like student screenings Mm -hmm. of a film Mm -hmm. where they're like, all the students like come fill up this theater and they did a Q and A afterwards. There's an actress on stage and she had a choice between two movies and she told the audience like, yeah, I chose this movie instead of what is now a very famous movie. Mm. And she was like, I hope I've made the right choice. I hope my, hope my life's not over. And, um, I'm cringing. And yeah. And then, um, I've actually ended up working with her from afar, but like definitely that other movie was the one that went Ugh. and, and the one she chose had, you had every reason to believe the one she chose was like yeah. going to be it. Like you don't fault her for it. And, but that, that huge lift of, um, fame never happened. And I, I mean, I check on her all the time. Wow. It's always tricky. It's always tricky. Cause it's just, it's just gambling. You know, you're trying to make it really does ring at home that it's gambling. But that's the thing. You don't know until you get there. And I am most cautious and leery when everything is going right. If there is not a Mm -hmm. certain margin of problems happening, then I'm like, oh, this is just this is going to go nowhere. You know, like we're we're, we're not even going straight to DVD. We're just getting shelled. It's, just, so it's like how Dirty Dancing was like riddled with issues yeah. and problems and almost didn't happen yeah. and went on to be a hit. Yeah. 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 Every, every yeah, time, that's so funny. you know, like when you, like, honestly, I feel like it's every time, you know, like I love the story of um, uh, Legally Blonde when like they made it for nothing. Like she mm-hmm. didn't, she didn't take any money like to do the, the part Reese Witherspoon. She just did like everything back end and was just like, well, who the fuck knows what's going to happen? And she woke up. I think it was like the day after the premiere and everyone was like, it worked. Like, like the gamble worked and that like huzzah moment. Cause it is just gambling. It's just I, gambling. Which is wild because money is your livelihood, but, uh, what you're gambling with in acting is much Ho- hopes higher and dreams. Hopes and dreams. Your, your soul. Whole, I would say <laughs> your personhood. Who yeah. am I? Who, let me gamble with who am I? Mm. <laughs> and you roll it. And it's also what makes actors such beautiful, magical creatures mm-hmm. because you live through that and then deliver upon it. I mean, it's huge. Yeah. And are you willing to, uh, you know, get back in the ring after you've been knocked down, you know? Knocked Those down. Those are always my, <laughs> yeah. my favorite people to, um, to be around. Because to me, it just means you've had a career, you know, had a film that did yes. well, yes. had one that flopped. Like, you just keep going. And that's how you know, you know. It's a career and not a job. 
I love that. I love that. And you know what? My my little bit of um, Legally Blonde Goss Go. is that there was originally a different ending. And the ending uh, it ended on like the love story. Um, of like, It's like her kissing him or whatever. And when they watch the movie, they go, "That's this is not a love story. Yeah. This is like her yeah. story. And they film a new ending. Isn't that amazing? Ugh. And so if you go and watch, you can see like, the wig's different. Yeah. Like everything's like a little ajar. Uh-huh. And I but I love that. How amazing to watch a whole movie and be like, you know what? This is not about a love story. This is about this woman like taking her life. It back. shows to me like people actually thinking about the movie and not trying to hit a list of uh targets. You know what I mean? Yes. Yes. I love that. Yes, absolutely. And and absolutely. now I have another reason so, to watch it, which, you know, twists my arm. I know. I was like, mm, I'm gonna go watch it again. <laughs> So then we get into, I think, the Igmar Bergman chapters, Mm -hmm. though sometimes he's got a name, sometimes he doesn't have a name. So what I'm about to read could be someone else, but she did have a kid with him. So I'm going to say, we both had broad gold rings. Mm -hmm. Both were shy when we stood in the shop choosing them. We told the woman who served us that they were for someone else. (laughs) I noticed that he flirted with her. He painted eggs and hid them one evening. I had forgotten it was Easter. Once I told him that I thought I was pregnant but didn't want a baby, he cried. Now, I don't know which husband this is. This is her first husband. It is. It is. Okay. And I think she might have... I think she had... Did she have an abortion? I have I have no idea. That's, I feel like, how on this reading I interpreted that. Because she says, like, I'm pregnant but I don't want it. Yeah, which means... I didn't know if that was like, I don't want it, but then I had the child. I no, mean, no, no, that she. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, what's interesting, I think you're right, because then a few chapters later, she says, and I know this is the first husband, she said, many years ago, when we had decided to be divorced, we sat holding hands in the marriage counselor's yes. office. He asked why we wished to separate if we were such good friends. Just for that reason, we replied cheerily. We stood in the street and said goodbye mm. because I was going to Igmar yes. in Sweden. Yes, yes, Which I'm like, so this is an affair. There's cheating. Like, none of that's in the book. You know what I right. mean? But I'm like. But it's there. Huh? Well, that's a, that, it's that's there. a funny thing. And I still don't get this. I feel, I, I really thought that like, okay, when I'm an adult, like I'll understand the complexity of these kind of relationships and things that happen on the side, like more than just the black and white of, of what I've seen on television or, or how I even personally feel about um, affairs. But I still don't get it. I still don't get it. Because <clears throat> yeah. I think she was. I think as soon as they started filming Persona, I think even if they didn't, like, jump into bed immediately, like, they were emotionally involved with each other, you know? Yeah, yeah. But she doesn't really yeah. talk about it. Except she for, say. Except for B.B. Anderson saying, like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't. I don't think you should. You shouldn't date this man. Yeah, you, shouldn't you shouldn't marry this it. man. And then she does. And then she's like, and that's what I love. Like, and I want to read more about about Bibi because she sounds like um a really just incredible woman. And I know she had her own awesome career. Yeah. But how she was also just a really great friend because she gives the advice. But then when she sees that Liv is all, you know, starry-eyed over him, she races ahead with the cinematographer to give them any type of time alone. And yeah. As long as there's not you're actual right. She's physical such a good harm, friend in this book. Yeah, like as long as there's not yeah. actual like physical harm, like you're because if you're worried about that and you run off, <clears throat> that's not what I'm talking about here because that's not how it was. She doesn't think it's the right thing. But her friend has to make her own choice. And so she's going to be the good friend. It's like walking that line, you know, of like I'm going to give you advice, but I'm also 
your ride or die. So yeah, it's, it's the perfect friendship of like, she did state what she thought was right. She, she didn't hold it in. She said, I don't think you should do this. And when Liv was like, I'm doing it, then she supported and was there for her. And then she was there with the love of best friendship in a book. And then she was there after the divorce, like the sewing circle, Mm -hmm. as she calls them. Yeah. And that they're there when she's nominated for an Oscar, like they fly all the way to America. I, uh, I feel like over the past year or two, I've started developing like or seeing my my circle, and uh, and so I loved focusing on that this time, where it meant more to me because the first time I read this book, I didn't really have a lot of friends. Uh, mm, I didn't yeah. I didn't have girlfriends. Um, I remember <laughs> I remember that. So like I said, when we read this book, I was like twenty. And um, a few years later, like I was like 23 or 24, I was like driving up to my house up Coldwater Canyon. And, and I thought to myself, oh, shit, if I don't make girlfriends now, I'm, it's going to be too late. I have to start making friends. <laughs> yeah. I got to sow those seeds. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and I, I, I jumped and- on it. But it's. But what's interesting is that you said just now that circle's coming together yeah. too. So I mean, like, it is. It takes well. That's it takes why. a long time to find your people. Exactly. Sometimes. Well, that's what yeah. I meant. Like a lot of those people are the ones I met then. But it's not until like a friend is a friend. But the sewing circle, that coven of women, comes from years of friendship before folding into that um, kind of spiritual communion that only women can have with women. Um, yes. 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 And so that's why I was like, I got to, I got to jump to it. What did you do? Because this actually comes up a lot in our Patreon, in the comments and just talking about friendships. So did you have a gal in mind? Were you like, this is how I'll make friends? Or did you join groups? Did you have a plan? What did you think to yourself? It, it was, that's a great, it's a great question. And as I'm thinking about it, it feels like it was a combination of like three things. One, there was a girl I had my eyes on. But I, I do have to add a, an extra layer of complication on this, which is, uh, like, I came out as bisexual when I was, like, 18. I always had to ask myself, because it was very important to be, like, yeah. what are you, it, it's, all, it, it's, it's only been very complicated <laughs> in my experience of, of bisexuality. Um, and, and I was like, no, like, because I also, it's more wanting my girlfriends to feel comfortable around me. I don't want mm. them. Which is also so tough that you feel that pressure. You know? I, 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 just, I just want them. I just want them to feel comfortable around me, and I, I don't. Because um, I can be a little, a little wolfish, and my friends kind of discovered that. Like when I, <laughs> you know, like I got a, I got a grin, and I'll openly like look. Uh, so it just was important for me to know. Um, now is the time to look for friends and not be afraid of friendship. I was really, really afraid of of friendship. I didn't feel like I deserved it. Um, Mm. I think for me, the sexuality of it, like really for a long time, it was the only way I felt uh, worth anything because I didn't, I didn't. Like something to trade on. Exactly. I didn't understand uh, unconditional love um, until I was, 24 when I met Alon's mom, um, had no idea, didn't know what it felt like. So I'd already like started the friendship process, but it's been, there's been a lot. Cause once you recognize like, oh shit, I never had this. Then it makes you very angry or made me very angry at mm-hmm. how I had been raised. Cause I was raised to believe that, um, love was transactional. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was complicated. Uh, but so recognizing that I, that I wanted it and that I wanted friends, not any weird amorphous changing relationship. I wanted true blue friends. Uh, there was a, a girl I really admired in uh, my acting class. I had admired her for years. She had been in a lot of shows that I loved. Like I thought of her as like a real actor. I was like, oh, like she's a real mm-hmm. actor. <laughs> uh, she'll never want to be friends with me. Um, but so I finally came up to her. She was wearing a shirt that had like a, a fork, a spoon and a spork. And the spork in the center has like a sad face. And it's like, I don't know where I belong. And I just... <laughs> <laughs> And so I just started talking to her about her shirt and we like arranged a coffee date at Starbucks. And, and I think at that time, I think I told her, I think I was just very honest of like, I'm really nervous. Like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. Like whenever I tried to make girlfriends, uh, like my mom would like shoo them away. Like, uh, she was incredibly controlling. Um, so I, I had never, and because I couldn't pick my friends, like she would want to kind of place me with people and I didn't trust her taste. I had no one because it was like, if I, I'd rather be, I'd rather be alone than like, I just, I have no control. So I'm not going to let you pick my playmates. I'd rather just be alone in my memory palace um, than, than do that. I don't know why, but it was probably like a self-preservation thing. I um, mean, I was probably embarrassed. Like I was embarrassed that I w- was raised in an environment like that. And, and I didn't know how to bring people around it, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I was honest about that. And, and this first friend, friend A, uh, totally accepted me and is like still by my side. Uh, oh, yeah. Like our, what an ending. It's, it's really great. Um, and then also like picking other group activities. Like I started going to training mate. Uh, and that's how I mm-hmm. kind of met some of the other like core girls in, in my group. So, so anyway, it was a combination of, I think, honesty, uh, preparedness, and then putting myself out there. <laughs> I thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I, not only is it so, um, oh, viscerally also sobriety you can feel th- and sobriety. Oh. I would have just been starting my sober journey right, right then. Yeah. Molly, what a tale. Um, okay, these are, I, I, I think you just gave us so much beauty, but you also gave tangible, actionable <laughs> steps, which your girl loves. <laughs> Me too. I like it. I, lo- I love the poem of Liv, Liv Ullman, but I also like, I, I wish she had a list of Then I need takeaways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally agree. Um, okay, okay. So let's move back into... The Igmar yes. section, which is called Islands, because yes. she's literally locked away in an yes. island. Okay, this feels like a good time to take a quick break. Sibling fights are unavoidable, but what if every fight you had was under a microscope on a global scale? That's the reality for brothers Prince William and Prince Harry. They were each other's closest friends and allies since the death of their mother. But that all began to crack as they married and took wildly different approaches to their royal duties. Wondery's podcast, Disintel, is hosted by comedians Sydney Battle and Matt Balasai. Each episode unpacks one of pop culture's most iconic celebrity feuds, and they recently took a deeper look into the real reason William versus Harry started. 
It's actually much bigger than these two brothers, stretching back into the history of the British monarchy. Did their feud start with the royal family's mistreatment of Meghan Markle, or was it something that started much earlier? Follow Dis and Tell on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. I started this podcast because I have been obsessed with memoirs my entire life, and I can't believe it, but I got to write my own, and it comes out on June 4th, and you can order it right now. The book, you know, I was asked to describe it, and I said, it is an absolutely harrowing, traumatic memoir, but funny. So if that sounds good to you, order it. Let me give you some topics that are in this memoir. A female best friendship breakup. How I got my break into Hollywood. When I found out my dad was not my real dad. The time I dated a magician. Are those last two related? Who's to say? Read the book. Growing up in Utah. Growing up around cults. How I got into therapy. Listen, I could keep going. Each chapter title is a different woman's name in my life. Some are heroes. Some are motherfucking villains, but you know what? A villain and a hero, what are both of those things? A leading role, and we do love women in our leading roles. So pre-order the book, it matters a lot. I linked everywhere that you can buy it in the show notes, but you know, go anywhere. Also, I am reading the audiobook personally. So I'm personally narrating it. So if you like this podcast, get my longest podcast ever. And the audiobook is also available for pre-sale everywhere you get audiobooks. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You are the reason I got to write a memoir. So thank you so, so much. Okay, let's dive back into the episode. I mean, she talks about their fights are really intense, which also goes more towards um, I can see how they become collaborators. But one of the funniest stories is how there's like four gates to leave the property. Yes. Like you have to go to the one gate and you have to get out of the car and open it and close it and get it open it and mm-hmm. close it. And so when they would have these fights, she'd be like going through like four different gates. Then you have to like go to the edge of the island. You have to catch a ferry on the hour of the hour. So if you're having a fight like late at mm-hmm. night, you know, how do you get on the ferry? They have to take the ferry across, then drive another hour to the airport and how she would leave and be like, I'm never coming back and make it through all the gates and even make it to the airport sometimes and no longer be mad and turn around and come back. And one time in their worst fights, he schedules a helicopter to come get her. He's like, Liv's grandma has died. You'll be coming to the Mm -hmm. island and like she needs a speedy departure. So a helicopter's on the way. She goes to pack all her things. She's like, I'm leaving you. And he's like, yes, you are. And as she's packing, he just sits there. And then she sits on the bed and he's like, don't go. And she's like, okay. So he has to call the helicopter and be like, her grandma's better. Don't come. Um, all to say though, too, there's not really, um, the only thing to say for their breakup, because there's really no specifics, is that they're just not meant to be together. And the age difference and the life difference is just, a, that's what it feels like to me because she never says like this specific thing happens. Uh, she just sort of says, and then one day one of those fights happens and she really does leave and she really doesn't come back. And that's that. Yeah. I think it's so funny how, how endings can be prolonged like that. You know, mm. it's very, it's yeah. very hard. Um, well, it's so funny cause they didn't make a clean break and it didn't end their marriage ended, but their working relationship continued and blossomed. So it's, I can't, I honestly, God cannot imagine being them. Like they feel uh, like such a a different type of relationship that I've never come across where it's like, like I said, like this marriage wasn't right, but they were, they were painfully connected, 
You know, there was yes. something. And, and also, yes, I, I complete. I've never seen it, nor could I ever be in it. I mean, there's a story <laughs> later where she's like <laughs> on, you know, she's in one of his films and um, he makes her so mad. She goes storming through the hallway and tells his <laughs> new wife, I hate your yeah. husband. Meanwhile, all I can think about is new wife being like, Okay, so you're, I'm sorry, what? You're casting the mother of your child in your film? You'll be spending all day long with her? I guess I'll come to set. And then she comes storming up being like, I hate your husband. You're, well, you're and they, like, that's a and lot. They a lot. had their own relationship because she talks about how welcoming the new wife is when she returns to Faroe Island to drop Lynn off, you know, and how yeah, yeah. the working relationship with divorce and a child and a new partner can either go really well and it can be seen as extended family or people can be sometimes rightfully so, and, and sometimes not be really caught up in the narrative of, I was right, they were wrong. We all hate them now. Yes. You know? yeah. And that's just yeah, choice. Absolutely, that's just, absolutely. And there is a section, I mean, it's a short one, um, on, on 172 that I that I did really like. Uh, and it goes, sorrow turned, if you like, into joy. I think some experiences are less frequent now, but I live a more harmonious life. That is how it works for me. I believe that the overpowering happiness when the whole world is fragrant and the sun shines and one is almost unconscious from emotion, I believe it comes less frequently, but it exists. I shall always be aware that it exists. However, I do not worry because it is not part of my daily life. I no longer believe in a constant state of happiness. How does one measure happiness? <laughs> and I remember the first time I read that, and I, I just, you know, when you're just so indoctrinated with a certain way of living and you like get information, but it just bounces off of you because it's like, nope, my worldview doesn't mm-hmm. allow it. Doesn't allow it, doesn't allow it. Um, and so the first time I <laughs> read this, this just totally bounced off. Like I really thought um, and felt pressured to an extent to be happy and to always be happy. Mm. And um, I remember I had a, a couple of days of like unhappiness uh, when Alon and we were like first together. Alon, bless this man. Uh, I don't know why he started dating me at like a turning point in my life. But I think <laughs> I really needed him. Uh, and he's just been so helpful and great. Um, but I said to him, I was like, you know, I just, I don't, I don't feel happy. Like I haven't felt happy today. Like I, what's wrong with me? Like, what do I do? I should feel happy. Look at this place. Look at my life. Like I should be happy. And Alan was like, well, how often do you, like, what do you expect? Like, how often do you expect to be happy? And I was like, well, every day, like, I should all, always be happy. And he's like, uh, okay. He's like, well, like, yesterday, how did you feel? Like, were you happy at all? And I was like, yeah, I was really happy when I took the dogs for a walk. Like, I was I was happy for an hour, a couple hours. And he was like, that is more than most people feel on a daily basis anywhere. <laughs> like, this, and it really took some of the the pressure off. Um, this this idea to constantly be sunny. And, and reading the passage this time because, you know, I feel more even too. I was like, yeah. And also if you're in a constant state of happiness, you experience no happiness because there's no ups and downs. Without a bad day, you know, it's that thing of like, without the clouds, you can't appreciate the sun. You know, you need the rain to make the trees grow. It's that 
that balance and um yeah so I just I like wow. I liked that passage a lot now I don't think I have if I have encountered that idea I have not been ready for it but and I even read it in this book and did not take it in I think you saying that now and it's so it's so funny to imagine Elon saying that too because he's such a joyful human, you oh. know. I, I mean, I know he's also, but I'm saying he's a he's a, he has a lot of energy yes. and a lot of passion, yes. and uh, imagining <laughs> imagining it coming, uh, that's a really really potent and uh, important, I think, uh, idea to hold. You know, the same thing with happiness with me, where um, my. I, I've just conquered so many demons mm. and I've just come so far and there's just so much good stuff mm-hmm. in my life. And so when I am unhappy and experience maybe extreme levels of unhappiness, you know, closer to depression or panic, mm-hmm. I, I'm also extremely angry with mm-hmm. myself. And I, I have this like inner child. I'm, I'm th- this, this podcast is getting real therapy, <laughs> which I love it. But I, I have this, I have this like teenager in mm-hmm. me who's like, you fucking moron. Like, do you know how good you have it? Like get the fuck up and like, go enjoy it. Like I, what I would have killed to, to be you, but it does make it a little, a little difficult to, to be in those moments where you're not only dealing with whatever it is that you're struggling with, but you're also dealing with this like intense admonishment and anger at yourself. Mm-hmm. Like you can't even deal with the feelings because I'm just so mad at myself mm-hmm. for not being happy. So I'm just angrily like be happy. You're like forcing it's, it. It's, yeah. Well, I think I think it can yeah. be hard to um when when you've done the work to conquer demons, um, and you feel that relief of like, oh my gosh, like for me in sobriety, just being like, oh, okay, that's that's over and now the world is like physically brighter and things are better, and then oh no, I'm still I'm still sad. Why am I sad on this day? I've conquered this stuff and go, no, Molly, like that's that's just a part of you, as it is with everyone. Everyone has, you know, their mm-hmm. their color wheel of of emotions, you know, and you have a slice that is very sad. And it's not just based on experiences you've had. It's just part of your brain. So mm. don't be mad at it and know that it'll pass. But like my, my coping mechanism has been to just, um, well, you know, uh, microdose THC and, uh, <laughs> and just like <laughs> a good tangible step an actionable See, I like, item I like those and just lay the fuck down and stay away from every mirror. Like just, <laughs> and, and I, and I recognize yeah. that that's a luxury too, that, that I'm able to, to do that. And there have been days when, when I can't, when I've like had to work and been like, all right, well then we're just going to work on that breathing pattern, you know, just consciously mm-hmm. they just just slow down and whatever I'm doing the best case scenario is if I can literally on a day off fully take it but like I said that doesn't happen and so just slowing down whatever task it is I do have to do um to make it manageable because you should never be mad at yourself yeah you know especially absolutely for that you know you've already you've done yeah. the work no it's ridiculous you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that, that was, um, a million dollars in therapy. So thank you for sharing that. I'm serious. I'm serious. And I, I think it's the perfect transition yeah. into a section of this book. I'll call, um, I'll call hot juicy Great. tea. What, what page are we on my dear? Okay. So I'm starting at 204, Great. but I'm really going to call 204 to the end of the book, juicy tea. 
So it starts when, um, you know, she's getting invited to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. This is the Henry Kissinger stuff is in here. But she goes to Hugh Hefner's Playboy oh Mansion. Yeah. And um, she calls the Playboy bunnies rabbit girls. <laughs> I'm like, okay, you're yep. funny. And, uh, but I would say mo- the two takeaways I had from this is that she says, we look at films. Oh, yeah. A dog makes love <laughs> to a girl. Yeah. Literally screening bestiality yeah. porn. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I'm like, I can't believe it. It's just like, you know, I'm glad that's in writing. Uh-huh. And then, Me too. Um, and then she says, she goes, afterward, we sit in small groups, not knowing what to talk about because our host is asleep on the yeah. sofa. <laughs> And I do love that that dumbass pajama man is being out for who I is. love how You know what I mean? Gross. Just like a fucking a sleepy yes, predator. I love how gross she makes the Playboy Mansion feel. It is like a yes, true take yes. on like, this place is super gross. And there are people fucking in the grotto. And I'm sure a hundred more. Like, that is not a hot tub. That is just a hot jizz pool. You know what I mean? Like, there's no water yes, yes. left in that grotto. <laughs> Yeah, and she's like, there's like a weird neon light on them. Like this this movie is about a dog yeah. fucking a woman. Yeah. Like me and these women are sitting yeah. here. Hugh Hefner is like fucking asleep. And also, importantly, because I do, you know, Holly Madison's uh, memoir does shed mm-hmm. light on how gross it is. But this is 1976. Mm-hmm. This is the height of the yeah. Playboy Mansion. Well, this, is, this is when it's supposed to be its yes, sexiest. Yes, yes. And, and um, it wasn't. But it's also, God, it's so weird because it's like, that is totally true. And it must have been so uncomfortable when like your host falls asleep and that he feels like he's allowed to do that right in front of you, unless he's on quaaludes, which both could be true. Um, High possibility. You know? But then like uh, uh, Susan Sullivan, who played my grandmother on Castle, um, she was a Playboy bunny in New York City as like a cocktail bunny. Like she served the Beatles cocktails when they were Ooh. there like in New York and like, that's all she was. She was like, you know, drink service, but like she kind of, and is a glamorous woman still. Like I admire and love her. And it's just weird when like, I think about the stories she told me where it does sound incredibly glamorous and I'm sure she was glamorous and, you know, giving Paul McCartney an apple teeny must've been really fucking cool. And then you read this about the mansion and you're just like, God, I just don't know what this is. I don't know what this is. Yeah. Yeah, it's great branding. That's what it is. They told everyone it was sexy. And then she's kind of like your friend's gross basement yes. where you can like yes, fuck around. Yes, that's like a really good yeah. point. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. I, I mean, I loved it. And I loved that it came out in this year. Okay, then we're just skipping a hot juicy tea. Um, she talks about meeting Mae West. Yeah. She says Mae West is between two strong men with long hair and open neck shirts with masses of muscles Mm -hmm. underneath. So this is Mae West's dates to a party, which I fucking love. Um, They whisper in my ear that these are her lovers. (laughs) She has yellow corkscrew curls and her face is heavily made up and she has false eyelashes that are coming loose. The shade. (laughs) They ask me to come and meet her. She wants to know me. Dumbly, we grasp each other's hands. As I walk away, I hear her. I hear her hiss to one of the lovers. Who the hell is it's that? It's so, I, I, you know, I really hated this time reading that. I hated her throwing shade <laughs> yeah. at Mae West because fucking trailblazer. Mae West, like Liv Ullman, I love you. You're a talent. You're a, a, a giant. And every actor should worship you to some degree. Mae West, as a woman, wrote, directed, put herself in her work, 
a trailblazer, like not just iconic trailblazer. Mae West plowed the ground, tilled the soil, laid the pavement, let it dry, made roads, formed the government, said it's a road (laughs) so you could walk on it. She absolutely did. Mae West was, man, what a character. I think, uh, I I read a bunch of of books on her as well. Um, because I just really have you ever read her memoir? Yes, yes, um, yes, same. On on Raleigh, where where we shot Castle, like that was one of like that's where she shot. So there's like a stage, it's like the Midwest yeah. stage. And so that's, I was like, oh my God, this woman who, and I remember something I read where like they offered her the part in uh, Sunset Boulevard and she returned the script completely rewritten and was like, I'll do it this yes. way. And they're like, well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's sad. Yeah. <laughs> I, my, my love of Mae West is, I, I am with you. It equals um, my highest love yeah. for anyone. My, one of my favorite um, pieces about Mae West, and then we'll get back into the juicy tea, is um, this interview where she, it's very late in life and this reporter mm. comes over and she shows her yes. all the diamonds that men have bought her. I you know what I'm talking I about? Do. Okay. Yeah. And so she's like, this diamond from this love and this man couldn't get enough of this sweet pussy, like <laughs> this and this and this. And then like two hours later, the reporter's leaving and she goes, darling, come back. Some of those diamonds. Okay, I bought them for myself. <laughs> <laughs> she closes the door. I love that. I love um, that. I love that she never smoked. Too. She never drank. Like oh, this, this body character that she created, like in some aspects was true, but also was really just a character under this sweet woman who like bought, I forget which apartment complex it is, but she bought it when her like, when her driver got like a glycoma and couldn't drive anymore. She put yes, him up and yes. paid his rent. It's not like she became a baron and she's like, you I'm, get to live here now. You'll be fine. Like she took care yes, of her people. I mean, she puts the first gay men mm-hmm. and, and drag yeah. queens on Broadway and got arrested for it. Oh yeah. Back to Liv Ullman though. Liv, I don't like it. I was like, we don't, we don't, we don't fly that way. We don't do that. We don't fly that way, Liv. She has this odd chapter. I'm curious what you think of it where she's time mag. She's on the cover of time mm-hmm. magazine and it says, um, the life of a winner mm-hmm. or like, this is a yeah. winner. And she writes, well, they put me on the cover of this magazine. The headline was, you know, this is a winner. Here's nine days in the diary of a winner. Yeah. I thought I had the distinct feeling that she was like, you think I'm a me winner? Too. Read this. And then I read it and I was like, that sounds tight. Same. <laughs> Sounds I, real good. I, I agree yes. with you, except for I think that's when she goes to the Playboy Mansion. I think it's one of the day, like like it's a even, even still, still I agree. to go to a lauded mm-hmm. place and find out it's fucking mm-hmm. dog shit. You're Dorothy pulling the curtain back on the Wiz. Like what a great yep. night. Yep, I would love that yep. night. Yep, I yeah yeah. She was like, it just kind of sounds like she's just very busy. But I thought it was a great yeah, night. It days. didn't make sense. And listen, all love to leave Ullman. <laughs> This bitch at one point lets us know that for Christmas she had nine Christmas trees. I do not trees. understand the Christmas trees. I don't understand the Christmas trees. Were people just giving I, her Christmas I, trees? Why? Yes, yes pe- and and this was the chapter where I was like, Liv, I don't think I don't think we're the same woman. I don't think we're gonna hang out. I'm not in the sewing circle personally, but she's like, Ugh, I, I'm in Hollywood. I have nine Christmas trees. I'm like, the space, the space alone. Like BB's decorated yeah. one, some friends, a PR, like an agent, like people are like fucking nine Christmas trees. One for her daughter. There's like one made of candy. So now we have to get to one more piece of hot juicy tea uh, with Vanessa Redgrave. And then we're kind of towards the end of the book. So yeah, let's talk about Vanessa. 
Vanessa Redgrave rings my doorbell and talks about revolution for two hours without once looking at me. I begin to feel nervous. She never lets me get a word in. She asked me to write a check. They're going to build a school in London to train new revolutionary leaders. I say that I would prefer to go into it a bit more. Has she by any chance a brochure I could study on my own? She looks me in the face for the first time and tells me they need money now. I ask if she thinks the revolution will be a bloody one, and she replies that because of their opponent's aggressiveness, bloodshed is unavoidable. Now she doesn't take her eyes off me with stiff fingers. I fumble with my checkbook, (laughs) thinking that her stomach is full of my lunch and that she is much taller than I. Perhaps she can see that I am frightened of her. Her voice tells me to make the check for as large an amount as possible. Speechlessly, I watch her walk out the door, clutching my check in her hand. An hour later, I send her a telegram asking her to transfer the money to yeah. Amnesty International. Good for Can her. Can I ask, do you, because this is, I, I ran out of time. I did not get to look up what, and I may sound like an idiot here. What revolution, what is Vanessa Redgrave talking I, I about? I have no idea. I have no idea. This is going to make me sound crazy and not crazy at the same time. Because what I'm saying is, um, I understand Vanessa Redgrave, but I would also not go that far. And that is, um, I, I give a monthly donation to an organization called Save the Snakes. And it is snake conservation Hmm. and snake awareness. Oh my gosh. And teaching about that snakes are good for the environment. They go around, they do classes. I'm not going to go knocking on, um, you know, Jennifer Holland's door and be like, you need to give me the biggest check possible to save the snakes. And this is an accredited organization. You know what I mean? Like, yes, I yes. know that I like this <laughs> yes. and I'm going to give my money to it. I'm not, you know, it's not like Planned Parenthood where I'm like, everybody, you got to you gotta give that money. Like, we got to take care of this. Save the snakes, you know, is a personal oh. donation. <laughs> I mean, I... I cannot imagine this level of salesmanship, which almost actually makes me give Vanessa Redgrave respect. I'm very afraid of her, just from the description. But definitely to build a school for future revolutionary leaders, phenomenal idea, definitely not something that's on a clock. Mm -mm. Do you know what I mean? Like that is something where like you can send a brochure and take three days. That's not one of the causes. Exactly. Where money is needed now. Well, then she goes into another cookie tie-in, another one of our favorite activists. She writes, Jane Fonda wins an Oscar. The next morning, while I read about her great triumph in the newspapers, she phones me to say that she has managed to find the name and telephone number of a wonderful speech therapist. Quote, I hope... Quote, I heard you were looking for one. And then she warmly wishes me good luck. Yeah, what's your interpretation of this? Here's the thing. Because it's coming right after Vanessa Redgrave, I fully believe she's meaning it to yeah. be shade. Um, however, Jane Fonda sounds fucking yeah. awesome. This bitch won an Oscar. I know from her memoir, it was the worst night of her life and she went home Ugh. early and like didn't even go to the party. Yeah. So like she's up early. But I highly doubt Jane Fonda was sending her a speech therapist as some sort I of agree. dig. And genuinely someone told her live all my I agree. One. I believe that it, and maybe this is because like, I've kind of, I've stopped doing it because it has been interpreted as me giving shade to people, but I've done that type of thing. Mm. I've been like, hey, like I heard you're like looking for dance classes, like to prep for this thing. Like I just took a great one. It's weird how those things can get um, twisted. So I've just kind of stopped doing it. But I do think that Liv didn't understand that Jane Fonda was doing a kind of... Like I, and now, and now I feel like that's permeated kind of all of Hollywood. You know how difficult it is to get a recommendation? 
people keep their sources yes. so close to the chest. And I think it's because of like this kind of continuous um, uh, mentality of, oh, if you do that, yes, they're going to yes. think it's well, bad. Yeah, truly. I mean, I guess technically they're using it correctly if gatekeeping is keeping you from a resource and, you know, the resource is where you got your hot clothing. Um, it is super funny. I just hope that everyone also understands, like, gatekeeping. It's like gatekeeping you to, like, jobs and neighborhoods. It's like such a systemic thing, let alone um, do you even have the money to buy jeans from the thing you're advertising on TikTok? Listen, I get it. I get it. It's super funny, but also gatekeeping, like, super important word. Oh, and I am going to go throw myself off a bridge because I believe I was just gatekeeping the word gatekeep. And (laughs) (laughs) now it's a real snake eating its tail. Let's go back to leave Ullman in that moment being like this Oscar winner thinks I need a speech therapist because I obviously told someone I did, <laughs> you know, rather than like rather than making rather a than like, yeah, I'm talking about something and someone's making a connection with me. They're not saying, yeah, I shouldn't talk about this because someone already did or something like that. I completely agree. Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, OK, then we get some Igmar tea. Finally, finally, they're on set. They're doing a movie. She, there's this incredible scene where she has to lie in a coffin all day, but she's writing her memoirs. And so she asks for a pencil and paper and she's writing her memoirs from a coffin, which mm-hmm. is very funny. Also, we didn't cover it, but there's a paragraph in the book where she's like, at some point a reporter called me and was like, what are you up to next? And she hadn't booked anything. So she offhandedly said, I'm, I'm writing, writing a, book, a book so she could appear cool. And then throughout the book, she's like, I fucking told that stupid yeah. reporter I do yeah. this. Yeah. But anyways, The great tea is that she says, um, I am furious with Ingmar who lets me go through this. And when the bell sounds for lunch, I race out of the studio to his wife in the corridor. I shout in passing that I hate her husband. Later in the afternoon, I go to find Erland, a cherished colleague and confidence. This is so good. I march into his room without (laughs) knocking. The anger and humiliation still raging within me. Full of aggression, I tell him secrets about Ingmar, lies about him, reveal that the truth about Ingmar's solitary lunches is a heap of tabloids he doesn't (laughs) want to be caught reading. Erland has such a strange expression on his face. He doesn't look at me, doesn't answer me. There's an abrupt silence. Then I turn and look in the direction where Erland's eyes are focused. Ingmar is sitting in a corner wearing a strange smile and a little sad. Mm. And then she goes <laughs> and locks herself in she a She finds box. a box. She finds a crate with a lid. <laughs> yeah, finds a box on set, lays inside it. People come and they're like, get out of the box. We got to film. She's like, I live in yeah. this box now. Go away. She says, finally, after a long Long mm-hmm. time. Igmar comes and knocks on the lid. He waits to open it until I whisper, come in. Yeah. He asks me, do you want to be friends again? And his face is kind. Olman mm-hmm. crawls out and work can continue. Yeah. That's when I said, okay, I love, I love them. them. I love them. Like, would you like a new reality? Let's just join the new reality. We're yeah. friends again. You know? You know, yeah. it's so strange. Yeah. Like, I'm glad she came to... LA and, and, and did her thing. And, and in a interview uh, that I watched, she even said that, um, you know, Igmar was always very supportive of it and like never questioned her. Like she really looked to him. Like, I really think he became her father figure. Um, Which is why I don't like that I they know, dated, but yes, but continue. It's such a, man, the things that we're missing and how we try to fill them, you know, as damaged people, it's always messy. You know, I feel like it's it's always a little messy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm just thinking about like my own mess, which is like uh, the only person, the only person uh, 
I've re- God, the only person I've really hated is my mother. And mm. Alana and I don't fight. It's something we need to work on because I think fighting is healthy. But a couple times early on when we'd fight, I'd get so mad at him. I'd go, Mom, you don't know what you're talking about. <gasps> and he would be like, what the fuck just happened? What is going through <laughs> my brain? And I can't really explain it, except that's just the only person that I knew that I was so mad at. And so that's who popped into my head. But also like how beautiful, like what a beautiful gift, because when we fight with people we love and we're intimate with, and especially our partners, you're often not fighting with the person in front of you. You're fighting with ancestors. You're fighting with history. You're fighting with demons and to actively call out like, (laughs) Oh, I'm fighting with you, but I'm also fighting with my mother right now. I'm fighting all the fights I never got to win or that I never got to have, right? Yes, Yes. and I'm bringing all that bullshit to this fight. And now we we can work through that as well, but it's not just about like, you know, you're late right now. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so it's, the point is, you know, I am fallible. I am messy. I think everyone is messy. Um, So I try not to be... um, I try to be understanding of other people's messes and how it shows up. Anyway. That was so beautifully said <laughs> and like such like a beautiful ending that I think we should read just the last bit of the epilogue, which is a letter she's writing to her daughter, uh, Lynn, which she has. And you know, Igmar. Lynn is like incredibly successful. Like she's just been on like all, I did, no, all tell the me. bestsellers list. She's a novelist and a, and a film critic in, a, in Norway and like heads up the great like writer's conference that happens in Iceland in Reykjavik. Uh, she has like very much trailblazed her own career. So I'm just happy. That's yeah. incredible. But like in terms of Nepo babies, mm-hmm. I really think they make phenomenal critics. Oh yeah. Because they've been scrutinizing their parents and they've been in the work their whole life. I, yeah. I think they make really phenomenal film critics above other professions. That's a really interesting point. I'm going to read the last paragraph. Do you understand, dear Lynn, out there with the children you laugh with and the secret games you play alone and the fragrances and colors and all the beauty, which is still your world? Do you understand that I really have no valid reason not to run out to you and live your life? It may be the lost kingdom of childhood I am in constant search for. I don't know how you took that. It was a little haunting. I was like, ooh, this is a, a haunting final note of like, childhood loss, which hasn't been explored in the No, book. it really hasn't. And and if anything, it it seems like she had more of a childhood than um than others that I've read about than than even yes. people that I know. Yeah. You know. Um but I, I wonder there is something so childlike about Liv. I mean th- throughout it and even the emotional depths like she's able to to plunge. Oh and, and that's what it was. Like I'm very glad she was nominated for an Oscar and and did like the LA thing for a minute, but I am grateful for the films she made with Igmar. Like in those films with that relationship, Mm. what she's able to convey, and he allows her to convey it in her way with her long hair that is just braided and no makeup on. Like she is so human, you know? And so all the emotions Mm -hmm. that she gives up it's almost watching her is, is unlike watching anyone else for me it's almost like a slap in the face because it it feels like I'm right wow. there because I still like to get lost in things but there can be a sense of oh wow they look so devastatingly gorgeous 
you know, which I also love and that's, and that's great. And I'm all about the hair and makeup team, you know? Um, but I really like that this other art form exists and that I get to watch her with his words and just see a different flavor, you know, that, that the color wheel is, is yeah, complete. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I think that's such, that's such a beautiful way to say that. Okay. So now we come to the book deal test. There are three questions. First question, was the author vulnerable and did she share her truth? Man, I feel like she shares a truth about life, but not necessarily a truth about herself. Like this time I read that, I was like, I can't tell what the you that you're protecting. Like I do feel like, and that's also Mm -hmm. her right. But I, I don't know if I can say yeah. that she was honest about herself. It feels like she wrote a book about, this is more a book about a life philosophy to me than a book about yes, a person's, I agree. Um, like it's parts of her soul. Like I think she's a very soulful writer, but I think she protects her her innermost self. So I. Uh, That's beautiful. That is beautifully said. And our, our, our last guest, Debbie said something about, um, after we had stopped recording, <laughs> but it was this thing of like, I don't actually, she was saying like, I don't want your vulnerability and I don't, because I know it comes yeah. at a cost. So that's not something I seek, which is interesting because yeah, I do seek vulnerability because I me want too. it <laughs> because I want it and I like and, it, and I respect but it. she's not wrong. It yes. comes at a cost. Yeah, totally. And, and I would say, yes, not vulnerable, but did give a truthful perspective mm-hmm. on life, but she wasn't, she was just like, no, you yeah. can't have me. And that does feel yeah. very live. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Second question. Was it entertaining to read? I think so. I think it was, uh, it transported me. It transports me every time. The way that she talks about the trees and eating the waffles and the, I mean, how can it, how can it not be when she's telling, she literally takes like three chapters to tell a story, a children's story that she made up for Lynn about their bicycles to the point where she believes (laughs) that these bicycles are sentient and that Lynn is right. They should not be kept outside because it's too cold. So for, for me, yes, this is a, yes. I'm, I'm going to posit something. I'm going to posit where I came at this book, which is from a different place, which is that I believe with my whole heart that if this book finds you, it's meant to be in your life. And it's going to be one of the most beautiful things you've ever read. I think approaching it the way I did, I was definitely like, where, what are we talking about? (laughs) What are we talking about? And I think I'm particularly, I'm in a career moment where I'm like, I'm turning in like three scripts, three scripts right now. And I just like, so I think I needed Liv to tell me like the year is this, and this is what husband I'm talking about. That being said, there was so many beautiful moments within it, but it is a, it is a narrative you have to dive into. Yeah. It's not a narrative that reaches its hand out to you. You cannot read it um, passively. You will get nothing from yes. it. You yes, will exactly. get nothing yes. from it. Yeah, yes. that's a really good point. Okay, final question. Did reading this book elevate your life? I mean, we know the answer, but. Yeah, it, 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 it changed it, my life. It made everything better. <laughs> I'm going to read it until I'm dead. I'm going to be buried with this goddamn book. <laughs> I love that. And I will say, particularly the happiness sentiment really is something that is really struck with me. And then I want to mention something outside mm-hmm. of the book, which is that she turned down appearances in Sex <gasps> in the City in the movie. What? Yeah, they're like, come be in the movie, Liv Ullman. She's like, fuck off. And then <laughs> in the blockbuster movie, I don't know why I said blockbuster, but in the huge movie, Ocean's 12, they're like, come be really? a role in this huge female hit. 
yeah, she goes, no, thanks. And that, I mean, that she is who she is yeah. in this book. Like this is a, the, when she's like, fuck Hollywood, she means it. Well, I think and she got scared. I think 40 carats scared her. I think the experience of that mm. movie and it going badly, um, I think it scared her. And so I, I wish she oh, hadn't. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I know. Cause I'm like, I wish I would have, I wish I would have seen you in yeah. sex in the city and oceans 12. I sort of thought she was coming at it as like, this isn't high art. It's not worth mm. my time. But I, I think your take is. I think she told herself what you just said. And I think that part of her believed it, mm. but I think it more came from a place of fear, especially, I mean, for me, if I'm lucky enough to live that long and have people asking me to do stuff, I'm going to say yes to all of it because I want to have fun. Like at some point you got to, yeah have fun with this. Like, I, I don't know. I think seriousness um, can be a bit overrated. I hate knowing that. Ugh, I know. Now I feel like there's a masterpiece that I won't get to see. I know. I think Damn. so. Well, but here's the masterpiece. The real masterpiece is that she once went on a date with Woody Allen <gasps> and a reporter asked her, didn't you date Woody Allen? And she said, quote, he only dated me to get to Igmar to hear about Igmar Bergman. We didn't date. We just went to dinner. To him, everything was Igmar, Igmar, Igmar. I was <laughs> Igmar. <laughs> and I just, you know, listen, anytime we can diss on Woody Allen, I'm here Amen. for it. Amen. Um, Molly, thank you so much for coming on. Please tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, support your work, anything you want anyone to uh, know. Well, thanks for having me on. And thanks for letting me, like, guys, this is my fault. Like, I really wanted to do this book. So thank you for coming along for the ride. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. Um, I'm most active on Instagram at Molly Caitlin Quinn. Um, yeah. And then I'm also on Twitter, Molly Quinn 93. And uh, I'm messing around on TikTok <laughs> with the same name, Molly Caitlin Quinn. Um, and then, yeah, just thank you for having me on, Chelsea. Like, this was, I, I got to talk about a, a woman in a book that I that I really cherish. So, so thank you for that opportunity. That's all for this week's episode. If you have something to say, you want to talk back to this episode, or you have a question, or maybe you think you have a difference of opinion, join the book club. The book club is on Patreon. We have a chat, and there are so many cookies in the chat. We talk about the episodes. We talk about book recommendations. We just talk about our lives. We break things down. It's super fun. It's on Patreon. You can join for as little as $1 or $5 a month, and then just download the mobile app, and you can chat all day long with us. Also, if you join Patreon, all the episodes are ad-free. So we started running ads. If you don't like that, join our Patreon. We send you a podcast feed with ad-free episodes and everyone comes to your phone. You would also get all of the bonus episodes. And there are so many great bonus episodes. You get all of that when you join our Patreon. And if you're a super hardcore cookie, we have a live book club on Zoom once a month. It's on Sundays. It's so fun. Sometimes we dress up, we chat about the episodes. No reading is required. If you want to read along, it's so fun, but also most people just listen to the episode and then we chat and hang out and check in and a lot of really deep friendships have formed. It's the best. A big thank you to our podcast producer, Kate Downey, our executive producer, Jordan Moncada, our sound engineer, Marcus Hom, and our amazing assistant, Jaren Padre. I also want to thank our friends over at Pattern Brands. They are our product partner and they keep me and my guests just rolling in the cutest tiny spoons and candles and so many other cool things and paquetto. I genuinely love our product partners. I love them so much. So go check them out. Everything is linked in the show notes. And if you have questions, go to the Patreon chat lounge and I'll see you there.